0: All right, we're going to dismiss the kids, and I think most of them know where to go, but I'm sure there'll be an adult back there to grab you and direct you when you get there if you don't. All right, so let's review the story real quick. I hope you guys are excited about this. We're wrapping this up. It's the end of our journey through talking about Elijah and and, uh, what he accomplished and what he did, and we're going to... We're going to wrap it up, but if you remember the story, Elijah gave the challenge right before the prophets of Baal. The 450 prophets of Baal went. They followed the direction of Elijah. The people agreed that it was good. They built a fire. Uh, they put the, the sacrifice upon it, and then they spent the day calling upon their gods. Nobody answered. Uh, they tried cutting themselves. Still nobody answered, so they, they finally gave up at the end of the day. Elijah came forward built his altar 12 stones built the appropriate fire put the sacrifice on it quietly called out to the lord in his might and his power the lord's power that is he answered fire it came down you guys remember the quality of the destruction of what was sacrificed. It wasn't just the sacrifice and the wood, but also the stones were all burned up. The altar was completely burned up and the soil was all burned up and all the water. You remember they poured water on it three times, filled not only the offering area, but the trough around it with water. Licked it all up, dried it all up. And it was this moment that must have as a, I'm thinking as a, as a missionary or as a as a pastor as a christian as a christ follower and, and you've gone to do some kind of ministry and you've seen great success it must have been that moment where you can kind of go wow god really showed up god really answered and it was a high moment for him well we're talking about the highs and lows of following today because it's interesting that even on the tail of some of these giant highs that Elijah had, that there's still some lows that he uh, experienced. You remember that immediately after the, the, the sacrifice, they gathered the 450 uh, prophets. They took them down to the valley and they had them slaughtered. And we talked about that last week. Brutal, right? They put that, that culture... That that little G God on trial found him guilty basically, and they took care of the prophets so they would exist uh, in their in their current form no more. You remember if we go all the way back to First Kings seventeen one, Elijah said at, at to Ahab, as the Lord of God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there'll be no dew or no rain. You guys remember this in the next few years, except at my word. In First Kings eighteen one. It says, after a long time, this is where we pick up, uh, in the third year, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the land. So we're going to pick up at the end of 18, verses 41 through 46, this is right after the prophets were, were brutally put to death, it says this, and Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and to drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees. Go look to the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and he looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah told his servant, he said, go back, look again. The seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, it says. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off into Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Ijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we unpack this passage and in the rest of the next chapter, Lord, as we tie this up today, I pray that you will help us to examine uh, how, we, how we do things in our own lives as we serve you and how the highs are celebrated or how the lows are Uh, take us low. Uh, Help us to look and see how Elijah handled it. Uh, Help us, Lord, to see how you spoke through these moments of highs and lows, and that you have a plan and a purpose for us, even in the lows, Lord. Lord, I pray that this word and the word we read today will be a blessing to us, that we might be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in verse 1 of 19... There's a threat issued by Jezebel. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel, remember his wife, who's not a Christ not a God follower. He told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, you're a dead man, Elijah. <laughs> That's what Jezebel was saying. She's like, Elijah, you're a dead man. You're going to pay for what you've done. You've, you've, you've embarrassed my little G-God. You've captured and killed the prophets, and I'm going to get you. What I want us to see, you guys remember last week we talked about how Elijah had a moment where the, the culture of the day, that religious culture, was against the ropes, And instead of basking for a moment in the success of the the sacrifice and that God came, he used that to push against the culture, and he had that that culture of prophets put to death. What I want you to see here is that the culture is always going to come back swinging. They're always going to come back, no matter how much he pushed, no matter how much he did. The culture is going to come back swinging. Jezebel heard what happened, and she's like, You got it coming, Elijah, be it ever so severely dealt with upon me if this doesn't happen. What I want you to capture from this, and we're going to kind of move through chapter 19 fairly rapidly, but I want you to catch a couple things. And this is one of them. Success is always followed by some kind of problem. So it's always followed by some kind of issue. It's always followed by some kind of attack. Why is that? You guys remember Paul talking about what kind of battle we're in? You remember he says we're not in a battle against flesh and blood? You remember last week I said Jesus doesn't have any problem with people. He has problem with the, the affections of the people, the things we think, the things we follow. And then there's this whole spiritual realm at work in the background. We're not in at, at battle with, with other people or governments or rulers or authorities. There's a spiritual battle battle underlying all of what's going on around us that we don't see we don't hear we don't feel but it's happening anytime you push back against the culture in the power of god in the power of christ and he has made known the enemy is going to attack that we've seen that over i've been thinking of stories today i was like what story do i tell he's seen this happen so many times there's this one time you know we lived in poland for eight years and we had a big team. I can't even remember, like four or five different missionary families with husband, wife, children serving in our team and, and starting um, Bible study groups and, and missions and raising up missionaries. And, and in the years that we've left there, we've seen churches started, three or four different churches started and people rise up out of those churches to become missionaries to start new churches. Amazing things happen, but I've, I was thinking of this one time, things seemed to be going pretty well. And we got this phone call in the morning and and it was one of our teammates, and they said, did you borrow our car by any chance? <laughs> i like, no, I didn't. I was like, well, we know you had a key. You're playing a trick on us, right? You came, you, you took our car, you parked it around the block, and it's, you, you're hiding it from us, right? And I'm like, no. And they said, well, then our car's been stolen, <laughs> right? So it was like a, a fairly new car to the team, not a brand new car, but, but a car that, that we bought. You know, in, in Poland, almost all of the vehicles are, are standard transmission. So we happened to lay our hands on an automatic transmission, VW, um, four-door with a hatchback kind of deal. So some of our team members that didn't know how to drive a a standard transmission could drive around Poland. We didn't have that car very long because someone stole it. (laughs) Maybe for that reason, I'm not sure. But what turned out later in the day is the police called and they said, "Um, we need to talk. We found your car. It had been stolen and they had taken it on a rally race. You ever seen the road rallies in, in, uh, they made up their own race, but the the dirt road rallies where they're like, you know, drifting around the corners and jumping over hills and stuff like that. They had done that with it. They had broken the oil pan, cracked the engine casing, all that kind of stuff. And I guess they decided to cover up the evidence. They would burn it. So (laughs) the police were not forthcoming with that information up front. They wanted to know you know what kind of insurance do you have on this car that you're saying is lost and stolen you know because they're like immediately thinking we burned it for the insurance money it was like well the way international mission board does is they pay the liability but they don't pay replacement cost insurance you know like like you would for a a car um here that was a new car you have to have insurance to be able to replace well the international mission board doesn't do that when they found that out they're like oh well you know, they kind of dropped it. They said, well, someone stole it, burned it. We don't know why. Um, good luck figuring it out. They didn't do anything to help us figure it out. They probably had bigger fish to fry than our, our burned and stolen car. But there's, it, there were times like that in our eight years in Poland, and there were times like that in Montana, and there will be times like that here in our lives, in all of our lives, as we as a church look to a new day and a new direction and a new vision to reach a community and be a community church for the community that when when we begin to move in that direction and we have what we would view and maybe even God would view as some successes in his name and for his kingdom that there's going to be low times and the culture is going to push back against so be prepared for that and we're not going to give you any like pithy little uh, statements of here's what you do and that happens. There really is only one thing you can do when that happens. That's turn back to God. Remember that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Our battle's not with other people. It's a spiritual battle. When you're in a spiritual battle, you have one place to turn, and that's to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. All right, so when the, when the pushback comes and success comes or uh, culture comes back swinging, remember that we need to redouble our efforts in prayer. Let's take a look at verses three and four because we see Elijah run away. It says, Elijah was afraid. Does this sound weird to you? I mean, we just had all these things happen. He faced off the 450. He, he's facing off against Ahab. Uh, Jezebel's made this threat, and it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he said he left his servant there while he went himself a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die (laughs) does that sound familiar take my life he says I am no better than my ancestors he prayed that he might die you know it's funny because we thought maybe Jonah came up with that idea himself but maybe Jonah was just emulating stories he'd heard about the time Elijah went to the desert and prayed to be dead you remember Jonah over and over again When he was looking out over the city and he wanted to see them get theirs, he's like, just take my life, God. I can't stand it. I know you're a merciful God and you want to show mercy on these people, but I want to see them get theirs. And if they're not going to get theirs, I'd rather be dead. And so here we have Jonah emulating what Elijah said. He's like, I've had it. You ever experienced the low after a high? They're unexplainable sometimes, um, and I think I pray I, I mentioned this to you guys in past weeks. I know I've mentioned it today, but I just mentioned it before all of you. You guys might not know this, but in the, in the, the rhythm of life of a pastor, Monday is always a low. It's unexplainable. I, I can't put my finger on it, but it doesn't matter how good the week was. It doesn't matter how amazing Sunday morning was. It really doesn't matter how, if everybody captures this and we walk out of here and we march into the community and we, we blast the gospel out and people are saved, Monday comes and it's a low point for me. And I know a lot of pastors experience that. Monday is just a low point day. So we look at Elijah and we're thinking, why in the world, how could that be possible that he had such a high and now it's followed by such a low? And I'm here to tell you, I don't know all the whys of that. I'm sure some of it's spiritual attack. Like you said, it's not about flesh and blood. It's about a spiritual battle. But there's always this low that comes. And so some things to notice here is is that life's full of highs and lows and no one is immune to a down day. Anybody have down days? Yeah, I see the, everybody raises their hand. Some of them raise them real high. Anybody have a down day once a week? I, I know, so not very, there's some hands going up. I have a down day once a week. Lydia's been doing research. She's like, what are we going to do on Monday? So she's, she's like red. So like, it was like two Mondays ago, I thought we were just doing stuff, but she had this whole plan she was executing. I didn't know about it. So it's like, okay, we're going to get up, we're going to have breakfast, and we're not going to talk about work. Uh, you know, put your phone down. Don't check email for a while, you know, so we didn't look at email. And then, like, the afternoon came, and I don't know, what project did you have in your pocket? Well, you clean the let's clean the garage today, which it needed cleaning. So we went out in the garage and worked for two or three hours cleaning the garage because, you know, we just moved, and there's lots of junk out there. And then we had something nice for dinner, and it was a good day. And the low was not nearly as pronounced as on some weeks. And then later she confessed. She said, well, I did some research. <laughs> How to overcome the, the Monday blues for the pastor. Part of it's activity. And, it, and, and actually, the outcome of that is I realized, you know, we were, my, uh, Rebecca and I, we were doing taekwondo three days a week. Right up until we moved. And since we've been here, I haven't done any exercise, save I went a couple times. So my exercise regimen's off. That really, I've discovered, affects that Monday. Having something to, to, to get out that stress. All that to say, there are going to be lows and highs. We've got to watch out for them. We've got to be prepared for them. Don't be surprised from them. Don't be surprised by them. And it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It just happens that humans have lows and highs. Let's take a look at First uh, Kings and continue in 5 through 8. It says, then he lay down under a tree. He fell asleep. It's right after he said he'd rather die. So maybe he fell asleep hoping the Lord would just take him. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate and drank, strengthened by the food. It says he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. God is always there. So I want you to see this. When we look at this, God's always there in the highs and the lows. You know, we we struggle as humans in the highs. What do we do? We tend to look at ourselves, right? And in the lows, sometimes we look at ourselves and sometimes we're like, God, we need help. The low should be a time to remind you to look to the Lord just as much as a high should. The Lord has a plan for you, has a purpose for you, and he has a, a... a journey, scripture says, as you come to faith in Christ and you begin to follow Him, it says He has good works for you laid out in advance for you to do. And He knows there's going to be highs and lows. God will care for those who are His. If you ever feel on that Monday morning like I do, like, oh, you've got to remind yourself the Lord has a plan for me, the Lord has a purpose for me, the Lord wants to do good for me, the Lord wants me to be refreshed. So maybe part of that that low day when you have that low is just taking some time to sit down, read something from Scripture, read something encouraging and and seek the Lord and see what He'll say to you in the low moments. We're going to read verses 9 through 18. I just read 9. It said he went into a cave, spent the night, the other half of verse 9 and continuing says, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) What are you doing here? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. He's like retelling God the story, broken down the altars, and put to death the prophet with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me, too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very uh, zealous for the Lord God Almighty, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broke down your altars, and put the prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. And so the Lord said, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, over, uh, king over Aram. Yeah, we're going to keep going here. Also anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphet from Abel, Meloah, Mah- to secede you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all of those whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So you see, he was looking for something from the Lord, and he ran, and he hid and he you know that's what we do in a down moment isn't it sometimes we, we're like Elijah we go he went out a day into the desert he didn't take anybody with him you know sometimes when we're down we want to be alone Elijah wanted to be by himself take me Lord I'm ready I'm done and when the Lord came to him and asked him he said what are you doing here this isn't I kind of get the, 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 the picture here. The Lord's like, why are you here? This isn't what you're supposed to be doing. And he's like, well, all these things happen. Look at all these things that happened, God. You notice he, he mentioned all the bad stuff, right? They killed all the prophets. I was very zealous. They broke down your altars. He, he didn't recount any of the amazing things, but he's, here's all the bad stuff that's going on. And the Lord appeared to him in that quiet moment and in that still voice. Let's think what we need to take in that down moment is some time to be able to hear the Lord in that quiet moment. But what I want you to capture from this passage is a couple of things. When you think God's done with you, He's not done. You ever been to that moment? You're like, okay, I, I can't be used anymore. We're done here. You ever reach that? That happens. That happened, you know, it happened a couple times in Poland. It, happens, uh, it happened in Montana. It happened in Ohio. It's probably happened to you. You get to a point and you're like, okay, God's done here. I he can't do anymore." more. And then he does something else and you're like, oh wow, okay. God's not done yet. Elijah probably thought God was done, but he's not. He had lost hope, but hope didn't need to be lost because he thought he was the only one. And the Lord said, you know what? You're not the only one. You ever felt like the only one? Even in a room of a whole bunch of other people, it's like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that thinks this. I'm the only one that believes this. I'm the only one that's following. I'm the only one that's serving. I'm the only one that's doing something. When you feel like you're the only one, you're not. God said, I have 7,000 others who have not bowed to Baal, who have not kissed him on the mouth. 7,000 others that, that Elijah had no idea about. How do you think that made him feel when he's like, oh, wow, I'm not just on my own anymore? One of 7,000, and I think sometimes our lows can be exacerbated by that feeling of aloneness and, and oneness. It's just me against the world. And sometimes that's too much for people to take, isn't it? And people get in that corner, they're pushed into the, the place of thinking and believing. They're the only one, and the weight of the world and the weight of their life and the weight of their family and everything is on them. God is saying to you, you're not the only one out there. You might feel like that as a church. You know, we've talked about a lot of things, and a lot of things have transpired in the church in the last couple of years. You may feel like sometimes churches feel like, hey, we're the only ones. Especially being an independent church, when we didn't have connections with other churches, you may have felt like, wow, we're, we're kind of a little island here in Elmwood Park holding it together, but, but we're the only ones. What uh, One of the things I want you guys to capture in this in this connection with southern baptists is that we're not the only ones there are churches all over this country starting churches and leading people to Christ all over this world and we can be part of that we don't have to be the only one standing alone in elmwood park we have churches that want to gather around us and and likewise there are people that need us. That's why I played that video of, uh, of Brian today. He's kind of a goofball. Do you see him laughing? He's, he's kind of funny. We're going to have uh, dinner with him this week on Wednesday. I'm meeting Brian Thursday morning. They meet at their church uh, in the afternoons at 2 o'clock. So they're going to come on a Sunday morning. Coming up here uh, in the fall, winter, they'll come on a Sunday morning and meet you guys. They want to meet everybody here. Um, but there's something beautiful about discovering that you're not alone. Something I've discovered about Brian, he said in the video, we have a lot of volunteer teams here this summer. Most of those volunteer teams are coming from somewhere else. Where did the team come that helped us? Kentucky? Kentucky or North? Was it Kentucky? A lot, because you know, Southern Baptist churches primarily started in the South, right? (laughs) They have filled the rest of the United States. We have churches in Canada. Um, So, you know, they've grown and they've spread, but most of the big churches with a lot of volunteer teams, a lot of those churches come out of the south. There's this thing that happens, and it happened in Montana, it happened in Ohio, and it's happening to Brian, is that a lot of that volunteer work happens in the summer because it's easier to get here, people have summer breaks, kids are out of school, so you have a lot of activity in the summer, and then the summer ends, and all the volunteers go away, and you wake up one day in September and go, oh, no, I'm all by myself. And in some ways, it seems true, but it's not. You know, so Brian and, and their church start are kind of entering this season in the fall where they might feel like they're them, by themselves and we have an opportunity to connect. So we can kind of play both sides of this. <laughs> as, as well as um, being a church that needs to be connected to other people, we can also be a, a vessel of bringing that to somebody else. That's why I want to connect our two churches together so that they don't feel like they're out there floating in Irving Park all by themselves. We don't feel like we're in Elmwood Park floating all by ourselves because there's strength in numbers and we're not the only ones. You remember last week's thesis, it said Christ followers do difficult things and it's going to take pain, muscle, soreness, and sacrifice, right? That happens. There's ups and downs. Um, Following Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength is not easy is it we'd like to say it's easy we'd like to think it's easy we hope that it's easy but it's not and it comes with this rhythm of ups and downs our father in heaven has strengthened us for the task and part of strengthening us for the task is connecting us with other fellow believers so in that moment when you're down reach out to somebody Reach out to somebody. As a church, we can reach out to them. They can help us. You know, Uh, it's interesting. Brian has helped me tons. And you would think they don't, I don't even know how many members they have or or how many people, I think maybe they have like 14 people coming on Sunday. You know, I've been working for a year or two gathering a group and it's been slow and it's been difficult. But he has helped me a ton. We can encourage one another. We can call each other on Monday and say, hey, today's really stinks. (laughs) We can help each other up out of that. Wrapping this up and beginning to kind of transition into communion, Elijah heard the message that God gave him to go. Here's the things I have for you to do next. Elijah was like, I'm done, I'm going to the to the desert and I'm gonna die under the tree. And God said, No, you're not. You're not done yet. I want you to go raise up this king, and I want you to go raise up this king, and I want you to go raise up this prophet. And it says in verse 19, so Elijah went. He was obedient. He did what he was told. He found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him, a sign that he was calling him to be a prophet. The thing to note here is that obedience is always key. In that down moment, in that down time when we come before the Lord and we're like, I just, maybe you've even said it to him. I'm done. I'd rather be dead. And he says, no, I got something more for you. I want you to do this. That's the moment we pick that thing up. Even if we don't feel like it. Even if we're feeling low and down, we pick it up and we go. When your wife comes to you on Monday morning and says, hey, I got some projects for you today. (laughs) You pick it up, and you go, because God used her to raise me up in the downtime. When we think we know best, we don't always know best, do we? Elijah thought he knew what was best. I don't know how he was so confused, except that I've been there on those Mondays, and I know what that low time is like, that he thought what was best at that moment was I'd rather be dead. Take me now, Lord. But he didn't know best. God had a plan for him. Listen to how this plan worked out. Uh, It it ties in a kind of interesting way to communion. Starting in verse 20, I just want to read verses 20 and 21, the last verses of chapter 19. So Elisha took, uh, left, I'm sorry, so Elisha left him they went back, he took his yoke of oxen, and he slaughtered them. Do you remember how many there were? Twelve pairs. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. <laughs> then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. I think you could probably camp on that passage and really talk about it for, for 35, 40 minutes. I know some of you are thinking that. But what I want you to capture here is when the Lord calls us into something, we say goodbye to the way things are, and we look to what things are going to be. When Jesus Christ sat down with the, with the twelve, and he had this meal where they shared the bread, and they shared the fruit of the vine, and he said, this is my body, and this is my blood, and, um, you know... Something's coming where I'm not going to be here anymore and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, but we're going to share this meal. It'll be a reminder of, t- of, of you in the future of what I'm going to do in just a few days. And they were like, we don't know what you're talking about. We understand that now. He was trying to help them see that they were going to have to say goodbye to the way things are. Yeah, Christ was only in his 30s. These 12 probably thought, we're going to have this guy until He's old. You know, in kind of the rabbi, rabbinic tradition, we'll, we'll call him rabbi and master and teacher and we'll follow him into our old age as he ages up. He'll get wiser and wiser and he'll teach us and we'll get wiser and wiser. They probably had this whole idea. And of course, there was all of the, the baggage of, of, of a military conqueror, uh, of, of the Romans, all these different things that they probably had going through their head that they thought Christ was going to be and Christ was going to do. And he said, no, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be this way. (laughs) He was calling them to say goodbye to things the way they are. And that's what Elijah called Elisha to do. Say goodbye to the things the way they are. And then I love this, this next point. When the Lord calls, don't leave any other option for yourself except what he calls you to. Elisha was obviously some kind of farmer, right? Using these 12 pairs of oxen to plow a field. And when the Lord said, I want you to go and do this instead, he ate his livelihood. That's really, I mean, that's significant. He's like, there's no going back. I can't farm anymore because I ate the tractor right? not going to be any more plowing, not going to be any more farming. He cooked it. He he killed them. He cooked them. He ate them. And I don't know how many people he invited. It says he gave it to the people and they ate. It must have been a lot of people because 24 oxen probably serve more than 24 people, right? I can't even imagine how many hundreds of people that would feed. But he heard the word of the Lord, and the Lord said, go, I have something new for you. Say goodbye to the way things are. Look to the way the things are going to be. Put to death your current life. And he did it. He took his livelihood, and he ate it, and he shared it with friends. And then it says, after he had done that, he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. He became the understudy. He became the, the, the mentee to the mentor. I love that word, mentee. It's kind of a weird word, but it's a real word. He became the apprentice. He went when the Lord called. So my question to you today is, what is the Lord calling you to do? Because I think in a lot of ways, I I really believe He is calling for us in this room, us as this church in Elmwood Park, to say goodbye to things the way they are. And I know change is scary, and I know looking at a new direction and a new vision to recapture this community for Christ, that that can be scary. And to even already branch out, we haven't even really started here, but we're already saying, let's get involved in Irving Park with Brian, that's scary. And let's get involved with our time and our talents and our finances with international missions and sending money across the United States and around the world. When you look at the budget, and we're not quite there, we're in the minus right? We're not quite there, but we're going to say we're going to, be, we're going to be obedient to what we feel like the Lord is saying. And the Lord is saying, give to missions in the United States. Give to missions around the world. Give to missions in Irving Park. He's calling us to say goodbye to the way things are, the way that things have been, and look to a new future, and to follow Him wholeheartedly into the way things will be, just as he was calling the 12. And they struggled. And it wasn't until after. You remember? I love that story. The two guys are walking down the road and Jesus comes up to them, but they don't recognize him. You remember that story? It was after his resurrection, but he hadn't appeared yet. And he was talking to the two and they're like, he's like, why are you guys so down? And they said, we're down. What, what do you mean? Why are we down? Where have you been? Do You guys remember? Where have you been? Didn't you know what happened? In Jerusalem, didn't you know that Jesus Christ was was crucified and he died and he was buried? And then his body disappeared and we don't know. Some of the women woke up this morning. They went to the tomb and his body was gone and we're like all kind of, we don't know what to think. And you know what happened at that moment? It says the scales fell from their eyes and they suddenly recognized Jesus, right? They sat around a meal. This is how it happened. They built a little fire. They started cooking some food. Jesus took The food, he broke it and gave it to him, and at that moment, it said the scales fell from their eyes, and they were like, it's Christ. They recognized him because of what he had said to do in remembrance of him, and then it said he vanished from his sight, and then he appeared to to the, the people in that room where they were waiting, and then these guys ran back, and when they got there, they told them the story, and they said, hey, yeah, well, Jesus was just here too, talking to us. Can you imagine the moment? Things were going to be different now, weren't they? You remember what Jesus told them? He appeared to them at that moment. He said, peace be with you. They shared a meal. And he said, I want you to wait until the spirit that I'm going to send comes to you. And when that spirit comes, he'll give you power to be my witnesses here in Judea and Samaria and all over the world. Say goodbye to things the way they are. Because it's not going to be us 12 and no more walk in and teaching and talking in this little corner backwater country uh in in it's going to be worldwide it's going to be different and bigger than you ever thought it was going to be and you 12 minus judah of course plus the new guy are going to be the church fathers the guys that put this new testament church together after i'm gone talk about a change in plans he took their plans and he threw them out the window. And he said, forget about the way you thought things were going to be. They're going to be different now. I feel like that's what he's saying to us. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be different. And it's going to be okay because the Lord has a plan. He has 7,000 others. I don't know how many others, but he has others out there we don't know anything about. Anybody ever read or studied the, the book Experiencing God? Some of you. Okay, great book, great series, great study. One of the premises, one of the principles of Experiencing God is discover where God's at work and join Him. Do you believe God's already at work all around us? And you don't know where that's at because... We're not like in getting out there and meeting people. But, but the more I've gotten out in this community and talked to people, I have found that it's true. I'll go out and I'll meet somebody. And you think, I think we think in our naive Christian manner, I'm going to go tell them the gospel. They've never heard it. They don't know anything. You go and you talk to them and you realize God's already working on them. And you're like, wow, how, how'd that happen? God is at work all over this community all over this town, all over Chicago, all over Chicago land, all around the world. And he's calling us to be a part of it. And he's calling us to say goodbye to the way things are and join him in the way things will be because it's going to be newer, it's going to be better, it's going to be brighter, it's going to be bigger, but most of all, it's going to be his kingdom for his purposes, for his glory, not for ours. For his purposes and not for ours. So how is the Lord calling you today? And do you feel that call into uncertainty? And how does that make you feel? A little nervous? That's okay. A lot nervous? That's all right. He has gone ahead of us to prepare the way. He's already there. He's already paving the way. He's already preparing the hearts. He's already speaking to people. He's already laying out the groundwork in front of us for us to walk into. Scripture says the journey, the path, the good works that he's laid out before us, they're there. All we have to do is walk into Him. And he's called us to do that very thing for his purposes, for his glory. So is he calling you today? Do you feel that call? We're going to share communion in a minute. And Jesus left that as a meal for us. He left that as a reminder for us. He took bread, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples and he said, this is my body. Whenever you share this meal and you eat bread, remember me. And then he took the, the wine, he took the fruit of the vine and he, he said, this, this wine is a representation. It's a symbol. it. it, it should remind you of my blood, the blood that's going to be spilled. They didn't know what he was talking about, like blood that's going to be spilled. They're like, what are you talking about? You remember, Peter's like, I don't want that to happen to you. <laughs> it's like, if this doesn't happen, then it's hopeless. Christ had to go. In fact, that was his purpose. He had to go. He had to go to the cross. He had to carry our sin. Otherwise, we'd be stuck in that endless, repetitive. Hebrews talks about the sacrifice of bulls and the blood of animals covering our sin in a repetitive manner. And it would just go on and go on and go on. And we would never really be sure. We would never be certain. Were we covered? Were we okay with God? Were were we going to be good with Him? Would we have a relationship with Him? Would that wrong from Eve be set right in humanity? And the only way that could happen was through Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm going to give you a, a memory of that, a reminder. And he says, whenever you, you gather, whenever believers gather to, to share this meal, whether it's in church, whether you do it at home, a small group, however you do it, he, he didn't put any parameters on that. I personally feel, because they ate bread and drank wine at most meals, they probably did this every day. For a long time, they remembered Christ every time they ate, maybe several times a day. That's probably the progenitor of the of us saying grace at meals is probably out of that idea of remembering Christ when we eat. But he said, whenever you do this together, you proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and also you look to the future when he comes again. And that coming again is the power of why he sent us out that's why he says church go tell the people Christ is coming again you remember what Christ one of the things he would say when he would go out he would say the kingdom of God is near that's our calling to talk to people friends enemies neighbors coworkers, whoever tell them the kingdom of God is near it resides in Christ. He brought it. And he's bringing it again, and He wants us to tell people. Maybe you're sitting today and you're like, "Yeah, this is this makes sense to me." But I, I've never, I've never gone down this path. I'm not on this journey you're talking about. I'm not what you would call a Christ follower. I'm just kind of dabbling. I'm just kind of thinking about it. Not sure where to go. Christ makes it really simple. He says, "All you got to do is call in the name of Jesus Christ. Believe that He was." Died, went to the grave, rose again, and is in heaven today. It says, You'll be saved. Paul wrote that in Romans. He said, All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is accept it's a gift. He, he, He sacrificed his life for us to cover our sin with his blood once and for all. We take this meal to remind us of that. This meal doesn't save us, it doesn't do anything for us. It's not a sacrament, it's a symbol, it's a memory. But when we do it, it reminds us of that. So if you have never come to faith in Christ today, and you're sitting there today, and you're watching other people take this, this meal together, you can pray right where you're at. Say, Lord, today I see that's the day that you're, you're calling me. You have this gift for me, this eternal life, but also abundant life today. You're calling me into it. Lord, I accept your gift. Please save me. I want to turn from my sin. I want to repent. That word just means turn away. I'm going to make a 180 degree turn from my sin, and I'm going to walk towards Christ. Christ takes that sin, in fact, has already taken it to the cross. His sacrifice covered it. His blood covered it. It's washed. It's cleansed. But it doesn't have an effect on our lives until we know Christ as Lord and Savior. So just stay in your seat today if you're not ready to take communion because you don't know him yet, and just pray. Say, Lord, I want to see you more clearly. I want to follow you. I want to know you. Save me. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. And then come find one of us. Talk to one of us about it because we want to know. We want to celebrate that with you. You can, you can grab Dave. After we're done today, you can grab Dave. You can grab me. You can grab Marina. You can grab a lot of people in this room. You can grab Lydia. Say, hey, I want to know more about what this means to follow Christ. Because there's a path. There's a, there's a journey after that of getting baptized and getting connected to a local church and and then beginning to take the gospel to friends and family and you're going to want to get involved in that you're going to want to begin to to move down that path because being a Christ follower has very little to do with sitting in this room today. This is a great time to recharge, but this is not the pinnacle of the Christian life. It's not. The pinnacle of the Christian life is going pinnacle of the Christian life is leaving behind what I thought was the way this life was going to go and walking into the way God has set it for you. Join me in prayer. And then the way we're going to do communion today, we're just going to throw open the doors. We're not going to have ushers dismissed by aisles. You can come down as individuals. You can come down as family. You can take the communion back to your seat, share it together with your family. Uh, at the end, we're going we're to sing a couple songs while that goes on. At the end, we're going to have prayer um, you can sit for a minute or two. We're only going to do two songs, so don't, don't drag it out too long. But if you want to take a little time just to go before the Lord, come down at your leisure, uh, take communion together, and uh, sing, pray, spend time meditating before the Lord, spend time asking the Lord, my right. And that's one of the things you do with communion. You, know, you, you go before the Lord and say, Hey, Lord, are there any broken relationships? Is there anything I need to be aware of? That's that's going on around me. I need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to to commit and confess some things before the Lord. Maybe you need to grab somebody in the room and go in the back and say, "Hey, I wronged you, and I I, I want to get forgiveness. I want to I want to talk this out. Maybe you you need to get something right with somebody else who's not here today. You're welcome just to sit and let communion go by. In fact, Scripture says that that's probably the better avenue. You don't want to take communion when stuff in your life's all messed up because. God says that's not the way to do it. He said you should you should have some introspection and be prepared. So take some time as we sing, uh, as uh, maybe you know even let's before we sing have just a couple moments of silence. Does that sound good? I don't know, thirty seconds, a minute, or two minutes of silence. You can even begin at that point if you like to come get communion. The band will come and sing. We'll do a couple songs. And then we'll close. We do this to remember Christ. We do this to remember what he did for us. And what he did for us is something amazing. (laughs) Something we couldn't do for ourselves. No matter how much we tried, no matter how hard we worked, we couldn't balance the scale of good and evil in our own lives. But Christ did it for us as we take this meal today to remember that, start there now just by thanking Him for what He did and asking Him to help you to walk into what's new and what's in front of you. I'm going to lead us in a short prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we enter this time of communion, I pray, Lord, that we'll take time just to be quiet before you, that we'll have some introspection, that we'll confess and commit our lives to you once again. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we remember him in this time, and and we pray in his name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.